Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? I've missed you all. I've been gone for a couple weeks. Anything exciting happened around here the last couple weeks that I missed? I've been gone, and I just don't know. I, I miss out on stuff. Um, so I just you know, thought I'd ask if anything exciting was going on around here. Uh, two weeks ago, I was, in, I was preaching in a church in Kansas City, and last week I was preaching in a church outside of Minneapolis. And so um, I'm gone a lot, but I always love coming back, like, because I, I love it here. You are my people. And I love being able to come and speak in our church and be here. Although I love going, I love coming back. And uh, you are my people, which means you have to claim me. So, um, so it's kind of a give and a take thing sort of situation going on. Right. So um, if you've been around for the last several weeks, you'll know that we've been preaching through uh, these concepts of intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And it's, these are core values and core messages of Living Waters that we, that we preach through. And it's, it's been said uh, a couple times, and I, I know I said it when I preached on identity, and I know Ryan reiterated it, and I think even Kim said it last week, but I'm going to say it again. As we preach through these things, although there is a natural flow to them, I don't want anyone to feel like we have to get to a place where we completely understand or ascertain all of intimacy before we can understand our identity, before we can walk in our inheritance. This is, it is uh, to the level of the intimacy is the level we'll experience our identity, is the level that we'll walk in our inheritance. So, um, you know, it, it just, the greater we go, the greater we go. And it, does that make sense or am I just completely gibberish this morning? Just nod your head and make me feel better about myself for a moment. <laughs> All right, so um, this morning as I come and speak to you, I am speaking on inheritance, and um, I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures out at you this, today, and I want us to actually do something. I want us to be active listeners, and I want us to actively engage with the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, get it ready. <laughs> Go to Ephesians 3. If you have your Bible on a smartphone or device, rev it up and get, get going, because I think it's really important that we read the Word of God, that we not just listen to it and listen to someone else say it, but that we see it and that we read it and that we know where these verses are. Because, you know, we, I want you to be able to go and read it again and, and delve deeper into it and, and apply it and let it soak into your heart and soul because there's so much rich in the Word of God this morning that we need to understand. And in particular, because this issue of inheritance is an issue that has been kind of elusive for a lot of the body of Christ. Uh, I'm going to explain that a little bit more in just a moment, but this is a, t- this is a harder one for us to get. And um, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that as we hold on to the Word of God and see what it says with our own eyes, it'll challenge some of those places in our lives where maybe we haven't been fully pressing into what the Lord has for us. Um, so that's what I want. So Ephesians 3, if you are there, Go to verse 14, and this is the the starting verse that we're going to go from today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to say that again. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Inheritance is walking out our identity in Christ, and it is that we are filled with the fullness of God. Church, we are filled with the fullness of God. Actually, I want us to actually say that. So say with me, we are filled with the fullness of the presence. Yes, 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 we are. Now, now I want us to, to get this because in this passage of scripture, it says this, that when we are rooted and grounded in love, and all that is is intimacy. All that is is establishing intimacy with, with Christ and with God the Father. And that brings us great security. And it works like this. When we have that rootedness and groundedness in the love of God, we have security and we are stable. And that feeds into our sense of knowing who we are. Because when we know him as father, when our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, it means that we know we're his kids. And when we're his kids, we know we belong to him. And that gives us this sense of identity and belonging, which is so important. And then when we know that we are loved and that we are grounded and rooted in his love and we know that we're his kids, then all of a sudden we get to understand what we're made for, what our purpose is, which is where inheritance really begins to play out in this whole scenario. Because we have been filled with the fullness of God, the power that is at work within us. Why? Because God wants his presence moving and active now and here. Yes, it's exciting. (laughs) And it flows out of an intimate connection with God. And you know what? This is no different for us as it was for Jesus. So you're going to test your Bible page turning skills. John 8, go there now. I don't hear pages turning. New generation are scrolling right now. There should be an app that makes it sound like pages just so that we all know. You know, I want them to add that to the Bible app. The clicking sound is not good enough. John 8, starting at verse 28. And I want, oh, I want us to see this because it really, it really undergirds what we've been talking about. So so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. What does it say there? I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Jesus only speaks what the Father has spoken to Him. That's intimate connection. The one who sent me is with me, again, intimacy. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now go to John 12. Scroll, scroll, scroll. John 12, verse 49 says this, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Intimate connection with the Father. Jesus operated like this. He did 
and said and taught what he saw and heard and experienced in his intimate connection, the Father saying and doing and teaching. All the power of Jesus flowed from that intimate connection with his Father. This is why we teach this, because we need that intimate connection with God. We need that. We need to be intimately connected with him. We need to know that we're his. We need to know he's with us. And then when he's with us and we know it and we feel it and we, we're intimately related with him, everything he says, everything he teaches flows right out of us. Every person that Jesus healed, every person that Jesus like, led into eternal life, every person that he raised from the dead, every person he interacted with, everything he did, he did out of that intimate connection. He did what he saw the Father doing. Now, I know that some of us, you know, we, we step out in faith. That we feel like maybe at times, I know I've done this, where I thought, well, maybe the Father is leading me to this. And I try to do something, and it doesn't work. How many of you have ever felt really frustrated that Tylenol seems to have more authority than, than me in Jesus? Like, oh, you have a headache, I'm going to pray for you. And nothing happens. And Tylenol has more power. I really hate that. I really hate that. You know, and, and I know that I've been guilty. I've been guilty out of trying to engage with the power of God out of my own sense of insecurity, out of my own sense of wanting to be important or powerful or trying to prove that Jesus, like, moves and works, but I've not been in step with the Spirit because it's been more about me and what I think I need to do than about what God is revealing and, and moving in. Right? I mean, raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. This is why inheritance is so hard for us. Like, I love you in the back. Woo! Yeah, that's like two hands up and up and up, up and everywhere. This is why inheritance is so hard for us to grab onto sometimes because we say that we believe that God's spirit is moving in us. We say we believe that his power is, is in us, that he is commanding us, that we walk with, with him directing that he does heal, that he speaks. And, and yet, so often we experience these points where what we say we believe is not what we're experiencing. And so it gets us to doubt that maybe God is actually at work. Another thing that, that, that we struggle with quite profoundly, I know I did, because of what I, what I grew up in. Now I'm going to make a disclaimer, so bear with me on this, okay? I grew up kind of Baptist. <laughs> now, let me, thank you. My name is Drew and I'm a recovering Baptist. I'm just, I, okay, now let me say this, because I have to say this. I do not say that disparaging anyone in the family of faith, because I grew up for years in a faith tradition that believed that our inheritance was heaven and heaven alone. We have an inheritance in Christ, for sure. The Holy Spirit in us is that deposit, that guarantee that when we die, we get our inheritance. And I'll say this. I know many people that I respect greatly. They taught me to love Jesus. They taught me to serve Jesus. They, they helped heal my heart. They helped disciple me. They are good brothers and sisters in Christ. And they believe that our inheritance is heaven alone. But let me just let you know, in case... You have joined us from a previously scheduled program. You're in a spirit-filled church today. <laughs> and we believe a little differently. We believe 
that our inheritance, yes, is heaven, but the kingdom of God is coming here and now. Jesus brought it here and now. We live in the kingdom now, which means we get to operate in the kingdom now, which is exciting and a little bit more peppy. Yes, thank you. You know, it, it's, it's exciting, it, but it, it is challenging. And I was thinking of that word that you brought this morning, that, that climbing the hill and you get to the hill and that top of, there's all the glory and it's uncomfortable and you back away. And I think that that plays into our inheritance so beautifully because so many of us want the power of God to manifest in our lives and we climb the hill and we get there and it's scary because it takes faith and it takes like stepping out on the water, believing we're hearing God. And, and sometimes we just, like, we don't want to fail. And we don't want to lose control. And it's, God does some weird stuff. Like he is, we don't control him. I don't know if you have not caught that memo yet. But we don't get to tell God how to move. He's going to move. And we're going to be like, oh, Lord. You know, and it's just sometimes, <laughs> Right? Sometimes you're just like, I, oh, okay, well, here we go, you know? And, and we don't get to control that. We have to go in faith. And I think that that word was so appropriate because so often we get up on that place where we are about to step into what God has for us. And it's terrifying. And those old voices disqualify us from being able to step in. How many of you have ever felt disqualified for entering into that? Okay, come on. Listen up. Thank you back there. This is just how this, thank you, Phil. This is just how it works around here. If you do not raise your hand when I ask you a question that everybody should be raising their hand at, then I'm going to stop my sermon until you do it. So have you ever felt disqualified from walking in the fullness of God? Now, why do I make you raise your hand? Because Satan tries to convince us we're alone in this and every single one of us are raising our hand. Like, we are not alone in the ways that Satan tries to diminish us and to, and to dim diminish our authority and our qualification. Like, right now, can we just break that authority and say no more stronghold of disqualification in us? Because it doesn't matter. I remember if you were here when I taught on identity, I said that none of us have the right to interpret our identity. Only God has the right to tell us who we are right? None of us can disqualify ourselves. None of us have that right. For whom God is qualified, how dare us disqualify him? Okay? All right. I'm really jazzed this morning. It's been a good morning. This preacher's on fire. I'm sorry. Okay. In the word of God, go to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. Turn those pages, people. 2 Peter 1, starting at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through our what? Knowledge of him, our intimacy with him. Not head knowledge. Not scriptural degrees. Not theological prowess our knowledge of him who called us, intimacy with him. His divine power has given us everything we need through our intimacy with him. For him who called us to his own, by his own glory and goodness, not our own. Not our own, people. 
Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, I'll tell you the truth. Again, recovering from other theological beliefs, I have often believed that God's divine power has given me, and then it kind of stops at the ability to live a, a, a behaved life, a good life. So often we have believed in our faith that the power of Christ in us, our inheritance, is not kingdom now. It's behave yourself. Don't get into trouble. Don't be bad. Anyone else? I'm telling you what, Jesus did not seem concerned with getting in places where he might be bad. Okay, so, so go with me on this for just a minute. Just, let's, just, let's just travel down this road. So often with this, trans, this kind of belief of like God's power has given us the ability to stay out of trouble, well, Jesus found himself in places where a lot of religious people really thought he was going to get himself in some trouble, hanging out with women of ill repute. Ill repute women. One of which would not stop kissing his feet and washing them with her tears and hair. Scandalous. Should be avoiding the mere appearance of evil. That's just weird. <laughs> you know, the power of God in our lives is not so we maintain goodness. Right. It's so that we partake in the divine nature. This isn't just goodness. This is power. This is world-changing power. In him, we have authority and power. Our inheritance holds authority and power. Now, what does authority mean? Authority means that we have the right to rule. Power means we have the ability to rule. Now, here's the thing. I grew up knowing my authority in Christ because, you know, you can't kind of live in the Christian church or even really, in, in, you don't even have to be a Christian to start trying to understand authority. Like, if you've ever watched the awful movie The Exorcist, don't, but in my former life. I mean, one of the, one of the realities of the, of the demonic in, in the world is that people know that the name of Jesus has authority and power, and they try to exist that authority, they try to assert that authority, but if they don't have power, it's like if you're, like, I don't know, you have a little plastic badge that says police, and you're standing up against, like, a huge right, and you're like, stop, I have authority. And because you have no power, you get run over. And they just, you know, because authority has to have power to, to, to exercise that authority. And, you know, we might claim the name of Jesus, and we might even believe that we are his sons or daughters, but if we don't have his power, his divine power at work within us, then our authority doesn't match up to a whole lot. Because although authority gives us the right to rule, power gives us the ability to. Amen. And God has given us authority and power. Authority and power. And if we're existing without it, like we're, we're missing out on something he has for us. Colossians 1. I told you there'd be a lot of scriptures today. Go to Colossians 1. Starting at verse 9. says this, and so from the day we heard, 
we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Now let's stop there for a second. How many of us know, and I may have said this before, I don't know, I say this a lot of places, that there is a difference between spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts. All right, yes. Spiritual gifts we are given as gifts. They have nothing to do with our maturity level. Spiritual fruit is worked out in us as we become more and more like Jesus. But let me say this. They're both from the Spirit. So the Spirit has given us as believers absolutely everything. As the Word says, He has given us everything we need, both gifts and fruit. Now, the fruit we cultivate, we grow. We increase in the knowledge of God. We increase in His character. We increase in our Christ-likeness. Gifts we just have. How many of you know of people that have had gifts, but they don't have no fruit? Hallelujah. I have known people, I have maybe even been one of those people at times, where you have a gift and, I've, you know, maybe someone who has a gift of the prophetic or a word of knowledge, but they have no fruit, they have no self-control, they have no kindness, they have no love, they have no gentleness. And with their gift, they obliterate people with their gift because they haven't developed the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that's not power and authority. That's just, like, foolishness and mayhem. And that's, that's, you know, unfortunately, we've seen that, and I think that's one of the other reasons why we get leery of walking in our full inheritance, because we've seen people squander their inheritance. And we don't want to be those people. I mean, I think if you're a sincere believer, and you've used your gift, and you've recognized that it's hurt someone in the process of exercising your gift, I know that I have done that, and it has made me leery at times and walking away from the bright light on the mountaintop because it's uncomfortable and I don't want to hurt someone. There's a lot of reasons and a lot of ways that Satan gets us to walk away from our inheritance. That makes sense? So let's keep on reading this. Bearing, uh, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Who has qualified you? Not your own goodness, not your own power, not your own authority, not your own correct administering of the gifts or the fruit. No, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are not operating in an old kingdom anymore because we've been delivered. We've been transferred over to a new kingdom as part of our inheritance. You know, this has been challenging for me. As I said, I grew up a little bit Baptist, a little bit conservative, a little bit not engaged in maybe the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, you, I, mean I'll, I will say this. Even though I didn't call them that, I still had them. Still had them there. just didn't cultivate them, didn't, didn't have them, didn't operate in them. Because God gives his gifts to his children, right. whether they want to understand it or not. Right. But this was hard for me. This was, this was challenging for me, this inheritance thing. And I think it's challenging for a great number within the body of Christ. 
because of this disparity of beliefs. I grew up in a church environment that either denied or minimized the workings of the Spirit. I mean, it was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. <laughs> Which is, we love the Bible. Word of God, powerful and effective. Double-edged sword, Spirit of God moving through it. Hallelujah. We need the Bible. But the works of the Spirit were really, really, really kind of cautiously looked at or even at times just plain denounced because they are, like you said, they're that bright, scary light that if you walk into, you don't have the, you don't have, it's the Lord. He's going to do what he's going to do. And so I want to tell you a story tied to this house in my life, and, and it's kind of how the Lord began to really help me walk in this. It was uh, years and years back, I've shared this, a little bit of this story, that um, I was invited to come and give my testimony at Camp Crestview, which is the Foursquare High School Camp. And I gave my testimony, and I met these trendy camp leaders. <laughs> so trendy. They had, he had an earring or two, and wear baseball hats. I mean, they were, they were really cool. They were Ryan and Kate Roden, and I met them. So trendy. Um, and I, I, I met this team of people, and I, I shared my testimony, and, and I, they were like, hey, that was cool. And I was like, thank you. You're cool too, earrings. Um, and, and they were like, you know, I'm really summing up this conversation. They're like, hey, you should come down to our church and, and share your testimony with us. And uh, okay, cool. And then they invited me down. It was in November that I came, my wife and I came down here. Our daughter, Elena, who's now 10 and a half, almost 11 years old, was only a few months old. We came down. Uh, we, I preached. We fell in love with Medford. We fell in love with all of you who were here. The rest of you, I'm still getting on board with. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we left and we thought, well, that was fun. We'll never see them again because, you know, I travel and I speak to a lot of places and I, you know, I don't come back. I'm my one and done thing. I'm like, you know, here's my testimony. I've recovered from all this. That was an action, you know, it was a, like anyone said it was lost on you. It was a joke, but whatever. I've recovered and I've given my testimony and here I am and now I go and I never come back. And then uh, one day I got an email from Brian and Kate Roden and they were like, hey, we want you to be the main speaker at our camp this next year. And I thought, uh, no. <laughs> I'm just the testimony guy. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we want to teach on identity in Christ, and you really have a good grasp on that. And uh, you know, we really think that you're the speaker. And so I prayed about this, and I constructed an email response with all the reasons why I was unqualified to be their speaker. Because... I can't go speak at charismatic camp. I'm not charismatic. Or as I called it back then, crazy-matic. <laughs> no, no. I can't do that. I mean, what is a ministry time anyway? And I didn't speak in the tongues. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not qualified. And I, I laid it all out for them. I hope they still have this email somewhere. I don't know that they do, but... Like, here's all the reasons why I'm not the right choice. But if you still think that I am, I will do it. And they said, great, you're the guy. And I was like, crap, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so, uh, so this, uh, there were several months from the time they asked me to the time that the, the camp started. 
and you can ask Suzanne, my wife, that I was freaking out for months because I'm like, I am going to mess this all up. Number one, I are going to get to a ministry time, and I'm going to be like, bless you. You know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And, um, but one thing that I consistently began doing is I consistently began praying and asking the Lord just simple, a very simple prayer. And it's something that I do every time I travel and I speak. I said, Lord, give me everything I need to be the best minister for that community. Whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, that will make me the right person for this community. I want it. Please give it to me. And that became my prayer. Well, months into this thing, uh, there was a night where my wife and I were having an argument. I know none of you struggle with that sort of thing in your marriages, but, <laughs> but my wife and I have been pros at it, and uh, it was a particularly difficult conversation. And in the middle of it, our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, began crying inconsolably. And so Suzanne went to her room to try to calm her, and, and she couldn't calm her down. And so I'm sitting out there thinking, <laughs> and I was feeling exasperated, and I was feeling frustrated. And so I, I got up, and I went into that room, and I, I, just, I was at my wit's end with everything. And I put my arm around Suzanne, and I put my arm around Elena, and I was in my heart just like, Lord, I don't have anything here. I have nothing to give. I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. I can't, like, I can't seem to resolve this argument. Elena won't calm down. Like, we need you to move here. I just don't know what to do. And then Elena calmed down. Okay, it's a miracle of God. Any of you have children who know when they get, it's like, forget the Red Sea parting. This should be immortalized in scripture. You know, the baby calmed. You know, peace be still, child. You know, it's like, it was a moment like that, and, and Suze put, put her down, and she was asleep, and, and she looked at me. She said, I'm going to go to bed. Why don't you go, you know, turn off all the lights and, you know, get the house shut down? And I said, okay. So I went and did that, and I came into the room, and she was journaling, no doubt writing about me <laughs> and all the ways that I was wrong in the argument. She's not that bad. <laughs> um, just kidding. She's here somewhere. Um, but we went to bed, and we, and, and we let it go, and it was a couple of weeks or maybe even a month later where we were getting closer to the camp that we had a rare night to go out, and we were at this restaurant, and I was just pouring out to her. I'm like, I'm going to fail at this. I am not charismatic. I don't know what to do. The charismatic camp's going to fire me. Like, I'm going to fail these nice people. And I, said, I think even in this moment, I'm like, I don't speak in tongues. I don't do anything like that. And she looked at me. And she said, oh, you don't, do you? I said, no. And she said, do you remember the night that we were fighting and Lainey was crying? I said, yeah. She said, remember when you came back into the bedroom and you put your arm around us? I said, yeah. She said, did you not know you were speaking in tongues over us? You were praying in tongues. I said, what? <laughs> Hold up. What? She said, yeah. She said, Drew, I grew up Baptist. Never been around that. It has always creeped me out, the, the thought of it. She said, and she's here now. Um, <laughs> said, but when you did that, it was like cool, fresh water began washing over us. She said, that's when Lainey calmed down. And I said, why didn't you tell me? And she said, the Lord told me not to. 
said, when I told you to go shut down the house and I went into our room and I journaled it, the Lord told me to write it all down and he has not allowed me to tell you until now. So when we get home, you can go read it. And then she looked at me, she said, God has given you everything you need to minister. You walk in confidence in that. I was like, yes, ma'am. I'll tell you what, I got to that charismatic camp. You would have thought I had been speaking in tongues from the day I was born. I don't know what came over me. It was like, I was just nuts. You know, and I was, I remember it was an identity crisis for me because as we, the week was going through, I was like getting ministered to in the fact of being there. And Ryan and Kate were just having a ball with this. And everyone who was there on the staff can tell you about my journey during this week. But Ryan kept saying, are you four square yet? And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm three circle. I don't know. You know, and it was just this journey of like God just pouring out and pouring out. And you know, all it was, all it was was me saying, God, whatever you have for me, I want, please give it to me. You know, our inheritance is, uh, sometimes I think that we view it through a very, uh, unfortunately, a very earthly lens. When I was preparing this, the Lord brought to my mind a trip that my dad and I took. We we took a trip down to California to see the historical lands of my, my people, my family, my family generations ago, six, seven generations ago, were, were Mexi- yeah, Mexican-Spanish settlers of San Francisco. I know, right? Por qué? You know, it was... <laughs> qué lastima. You know, it was... It was uh, Donde está el cuarto de baño? You know, it's like, I don't know what I said. Speaking in tongues. Uh, no, I'm, I'm charismatic. Um, anyway, we took this trip, and, and if you go down there to this area, you will find there's Lake Berryessa, and there is, like in San Jose area, there's, there's uh, in Santa Clara, there's this, the Berryessa Adobe, which is this house. And Santa Clara University is on land that my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma gave to the Catholic Church. And if you go, well, the one that really got me was the uh, New Almaden Mercury Mine Park. The New Almaden Mercury Mine Uh, produced over $70 million worth of mercury, greatest, most wealthiest mine in all of the gold rush. And it was sitting (sighs) on Jose de los Reyes Berrias' land. (laughs) Who was Jose de los Reyes, Jose de los Santos, Francisco, Walter, Owen, Mike, Drew? (laughs) Where are my $70 million? I want it. I mean, this was just one piece of their land. On another part of his land sits the current uh, research headquarters for IBM. On his son, Jose de los Santos's land, any, have you ever been to Calistoga, California? Then pay me some royalties. <laughs> because that's his land, as well as like the northern part of the Napa Valley on up. I can't tell you how frustrated I get going to the grocery store, seeing labels of vineyards that are sitting on my land. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I, I share this because I, I think that often we look at inheritance through this lens, like where, you know, some really bad stuff happened to my family and all that wealth was lost. 
I get to go there and I get to see remnants of, of the great wealth of the family, but I'm disconnected from it. It's not mine to have. Whatever was there is gone. And there's just the memory of, of the greatness that was there. There's the remnants of it. You know, as I was preparing this morning, um, the Lord kind of prompted me to get on the Google. And I looked up the heritage of the Foursquare Church. Amy Semple McPherson, the, the, the founder, and I looked at, and I heard all the stories of these healings and the, the evidence of just God moving in such a miraculous way. And I wonder if sometimes we all do the same thing that I did on that trip. We look back at the relics of the past and think that that was good for them. They had something that we don't have now. Even when we read the book of Acts and we hear the people moving in powerful ways in the kingdom and we settle for something that's disconnected as if that inheritance was lost somehow. First Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In verse 18 of that same chapter, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down or inherited from your ancestors. We have an inheritance, not by natural birth, not by passing down from a natural line. We have an inheritance secured for us in heaven that can never, ever, ever, ever spoil or fade or perish or diminish or be out of our reach. It is the light at the top of that hill that is waiting for us to step in and ascertain. And all it takes is our, invita- our, our willingness to receive it. That's all it takes. You know, it's... When I preached on identity, I, 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 uh, I brought up the prodigal son as a form of, you know, talking about identity. And I said in that message, we don't have the right to interpret who we are. Only God has that right. But as I was thinking, just even just before the first service, God brought to my mind that passage again. And I remember that, you know, when you inherit your family's wealth, normally you have to wait for them to die. That's kind of how it works. Father dies, you get the money. And this story was a little odd because the son went to his father while he was still living and he said, give me all that's mine. And he gave it and he squandered it. And, you know, he came back. And when he came back, we know that he, the father knelt down and he put a ring on his finger and a new robe on him and he threw a giant party. Well, why did he do that? Because even though the son had taken his inheritance, the father was still living. The father was still producing. The father was still active. The father was still real wealthy. And even though the son wasted away what he had been given, did the father stop producing wealth? No. He was still living, and his son was brought right back in, brought back into the inheritance. Brothers and sisters, our father is still alive. He is still producing. He is still powerful. He is still wealthier than Oprah. (laughs) He is. 
And it doesn't matter the mistakes we've made or how we may have squandered our freedom or our authority. We still have it available to us. It doesn't perish. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't fade. And you know, the other thing that, that struck me even in between last service and this one, so I think this is specific for, for someone here or maybe a lot of people here. In that story of the prodigal, after the father lavished on his son that was returned, his other son, the older brother, came to him and he was frustrated with how much grace and how much outpouring that he had given to this prodigal son. And he said to him, you know, you've never thrown me a party. You've never lavished on me. And what struck me even between the two services today is the father's response. I have never withheld a thing from you. If only you would have asked. Church, that's for us. That's for us today. God has not withheld anything from us. He has poured his inheritance in us. He has poured his power into us. We have his divine nature available to us. He wants that connection with us. He wants to pour out everything to us. If only we'd ask.